Smart Council is a production of New Pattern Counseling, with additional support from Multnomah University. To learn how to support this podcast, visit patreon.com slash smartcouncil. Reese Basimio is a counselor, teacher, and writer, and the founder of New Pattern Counseling in Gresham, Oregon. His clinical specialties are addictions, gender, sexuality, and spirituality. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Smart Council. Why pornography is problematic when it's problematic. Uh, Smart Council presents perspectives and resources on spirituality, mental health, addictions, relationships, and trauma. I am Reese Basimio, back in the recording mode after a long absence, uh, during a year of long absences and disruptions of various sorts. And I'm here with Trevor Windsor. Hello, Trevor. Hey. How's it going? How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Glad to be here, man. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, um, would you like to give a brief introduction of yourself, who you are, where you are in relation to like the counseling world? Yeah. And what's cool about you? <laughs> what's cool about me? Uh, so many things to talk about. Um, so I, uh, like you said, Trevor Windsor married two young sons. Um, and for me, I work for pure desire ministries. Uh, it's a nonprofit ministry that helps uh, men, women, and churches battle sexual brokenness. Um, and so that's addiction, uh, the effects of addiction being betrayal. Uh, and so we offer resources, uh, like actual, like group material, uh, that's to be done, um, in either online format or done in person to help you process through uh, family of origin, trauma, woundedness, and how all that plays out in unwanted behavior. Uh, so we offer stuff for the person who's struggling and also for the people who are betrayed or experience the, the downfall uh, or the outplaying of that. That's great. That's a whole big spread of resources. Uh, yes. Yeah. What's your, what do you find is your favorite part of that or a favorite specific thread in there? Yeah. I feel like I need to also say we do offer counseling uh, online as well, which uh, we can do all over the world. But my favorite part, um, genuinely, it's because uh, this stuff saved my life, saved my marriage. Um, And so I found healing and freedom from a pornography addiction. And really what I've learned now is actually a love addiction that was fueling a use of pornography and sexually acting out. Um, And so for me, it's stuff that I have like tasted the fruit in my own life. And my favorite part is watching people through uh, their process of self-discovery and really being honest and vulnerable for maybe the first time in their life to really experience the healing and freedom that's actually possible. Um, From our bent, we look at things obviously in a spiritual lens as well, where um, we believe that um, starting to accept who we are created to be in God's image, who we're created uh, to become on this earth, people stepping into that is uh, ironically, it's addicting to be a part of that process and to watch people um, become better versions of themselves, fuller, 
human beings, if you will, um, and to see the impact that that can have on their relationships, on the legacy that they create, the families and the cultures that they get to be a part of. So, uh, yeah, it's awesome. That does sound really awesome. And I really appreciate the, uh, like the emphasis on like discovery and creation and becoming, uh, not strictly just to stop. This is, it's bad. Although, I mean, we're going to explore kind of why it's bad, but like, um, by having more of that creative aspect to it, I think that's really special. Um, and so another, there's a lot of programs that address, um, pornography addiction, sexual acting out, and a lot of even, uh, faith-based programs as well. Uh, per your experience observation, what, uh, what are some special features, unique things about pure desire, the seven pillars, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, our founder, Dr. Ted Roberts was a pastor, um, local here where we're at in the Portland, Oregon area. Um, and he went and got training from Dr. Patrick Carnes from ITAP, um, the International Institute of Addiction and Trauma Professionals. I think I never get that one. Trauma right, professional. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they offer um, certification as a certified sex addiction therapist and then also pastoral sex addiction professionals. And so Dr. Ted, our founder, went and got training under Dr. Patrick Carnes Um, because he was seeing brokenness in his community and just wanted to be able to offer hope and healing for people and realize that um, from where we stand as followers of Jesus, that a lot of the principles that are taught from ITAP uh, in their training actually overlays right on top of what we see as uh, foundations created in scripture or the Bible. Um, And so he started this um, very practical and clinical mixed with a biblical approach to this. And so I think that that's what makes one thing, uh, what's one thing that makes us unique. I think Another thing, and I know that there are organizations all across the board who do this, and we are honestly proud to just be a part of it um, with them. Uh, It is a large playing field, (laughs) sexual brokenness is. Um, (laughs) And so we need, you know, plenty of players in the game. But um, another unique thing that we offer is we don't just help those who are struggling. We also help the betrayed spouse. Betrayal trauma is a real thing. um, And how that interacts and intersects with um, who these people are, who they're created to be and how it stunts their growth. Um, And so we offer stuff for the betrayed spouse and also for uh, the addict. And so um, that would be the second thing. I think a third thing, most organizations that, that I have personally experienced, and there's not like thousands or anything like that, but they often tend to just focus more on the man struggling with pornography. Um, But in reality, the highest growing percentage of porn use is actually college age women. Um, And so you have to pay attention to stuff like that. So it's, we look at it as like, it's a brokenness people problem. It's not a man's problem, woman's problem. It is a people problem. And so both addiction and betrayal affect both genders. It is definitely not gender specific. Uh, I mean, there's certain gender trends, but yes, absolutely. Uh, Women women experience it. Uh, Women experience their own sexual acting out and uh, well, stereotypically uh, women experience the betrayal quite a bit. Uh, So that holistic approach is really, really valuable. Um, so I think this is a fun mix of perspectives between you and me. So, so, so we both, so I went through the a version of the seven pillars back in the day also, which was also very, uh, useful, restorative for, for me and my family. And then, um, I've, uh, I've done the training through ITOP as well. I actually, yeah. uh, just recently actually finished, sent in my, my last dollars, lots of dollars, and got an expensive piece of paper to hang up on my wall that says, I am CSAT. Uh, so yes. I'm excited about that. Um, but so, and so I did that because I'm, that was the, the licensed counselor track. And you said you're looking at the, the pastoral track. 
through yep. ITOP as well. Cool. I, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Thank you. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a licensed pastor now, um, not functioning as a vocational pastor, but um, definitely see some like under shepherd to use maybe some church language um, at my church. And uh, so for me, it just felt like it's something that was going to better equip me uh, to do my job better as the marketing director here, but then also as a speaker, I host our podcast uh, that we have. And so I, I think for me, just looking for ways to educate and give myself more tools and language to help people on the journey. So, uh, dude, congrats on the CSAT. That's a huge deal. Way to go. Thanks. Thanks. Yes. I'm, I'm really happy about it. So yeah. And I'll be excited to <laughs> reciprocate that congrats in a few months for you too. So, yep. um, yeah. So, so speaking, of, so speaking of porn, um, and, and so in, in this podcast format, we're, uh, addressing a, a mixed audience. And so, you know, speaking to a, a person of faith, Christian in particular, um, it seems like I perceive there's a little bit, we, we kind of take for granted that porn is bad. And there's yeah. this kind of this yeah. collective understanding that it's this, this bad thing. Uh, and so we don't necessarily need to sell that there. So I'd be interested in exploring on a more mixed audience uh, why we think porn is a problem to, to be addressed. Um, and... And two, even speaking to some uh, some Christian people too, there there may not always be like a deep understanding of just why why it's problematic, you know. And yeah. I mean, we, we we can throw the sin word at it, and it kind of makes sense to us with it sure. within our tradition. But even then, like I mean, they, I would speculate there are some Christian people who don't like know all of the science and everything that that goes into yeah. it. Also, so uh, yeah. so I thought that would be a fun thing to explore a little bit here. So. Off the top of your head, whatever list you have in your head, what are some reasons why um, pornography presents a problem for people? Yeah. Um, okay. So a um, couple things. In my experience, uh, I had struggled with pornography and it was an unwanted sexual behavior in my life for a long time. Um, I think I was exposed to pornography around 10 or 11. Um, and that manifested into a pornography addiction, sexually acting out, um, and uh, for me, when I walked into marriage, um, for me, what it taught me was what sex, quote unquote, should look like. And so for me, when, um, you know, and we'll just be raw here, I, I'm really good at transparency. So um, when you get into uh, marriage and you get into specifically for Christians, that's when it's okay, right, to have sex. Um, but for me, my expectation was, okay, now that I'm married, now we're just going to have lots of sex all the time and it's always going to be great. But then it's like, well, what if I don't last as long as I want to? Or what if my, what if my wife doesn't actually want to have sex? Like, uh, hold on a second. Like, I thought this was like, whenever I want it, I'm going to get it and it's going to feel good and it's going to be the best. Um, so for me, I found myself walking into marriage and running right into the wall of disappointment. <laughs> like, okay, I clearly am not as good as this as I thought I was. Or thought I would be. Um, my wife doesn't want it as much as I thought she would. Okay. So I think what ends up happening is if those expectations aren't met, I start to feel shame that I somehow, there's something wrong with me. And I think that shame is a destructive force in anyone's life, regardless if you're, you're religious or not. Um, shame leads to a lot of unwanted behavior, a lot of negative self-talk. Um, and I think that we limp through life, uh, basically like shackled to this big ball of shame that we're just dragging behind us. Um, so that's the first one. The second one off the top is um, the chemicals that are released in your brain. And I mean, you being a CSAT, uh, you can probably speak more to this. Um, but from the research I've seen, 
the chemicals that are released in your brain, um, the, the chemical dopamine, right? So pleasure that's released in your brain uh, is a good feeling. You get dopamine when you work out, when you eat good food, when you listen to a good song, when you have sex, when you orgasm, whatever. There's all these different ways. But uh, there's also a chemical that's released in your brain that is a bonding chemical um, that uh, what ends up happening is you're actually when you climax, when you're like masturbation, watching pornography, you're actually bonding yourself to images on the screen, uh, but then also uh, bonding yourself to yourself. Um, and so in some ways that creates some unhealthy habits or patterns in your life. And that's kind of tied to another reason, which um, I think pornography teaches that sex is all about me and my climax. Um, but in reality, sex should be something that is enjoyed and pleasurable for both people that are involved. Um, and I coming from the Christian background in the con, we would teach in the context of a, of a marriage, uh, between a man and a woman. Now, um, not, not everyone has to agree on that perspective. That's totally fine. I just think that, um, in, in any context, sex should be between a committed relationship that should be mutually beneficial and valuing and pleasurable for both. And pornography can come in and disrupt that. Absolutely. And there is the fairly religious specific uh, ideal of within within a marriage and it's usually heteronormative. Uh, even so, though, there is there's still a way like uh, Christian or not, um, pornography tends to decontextualize sex and in, in that it's uh, when, when you when you watch porn, you're not watching the development of a relationship from beginning to end. You're not watching the struggles to emotional intimacy. Uh, you're not watching time spent together in idleness. You, you may not even be watching like, just like, you know, casual affectionate touches. It's like, we're, yeah. we're jumping into the act. We're jumping into the penetration, to the orgasm, to the genitals. So, so it's not even like the full body image and it's definitely not the full relationship image. And it's definitely not like a realistic portrayal of what life is. And so, um, well, and I think because of that, it also teaches objectification um, to both genders. Uh, I think it teaches that uh, you are something to be had, not someone to know um, or someone to experience or have a relationship with. And I think that that can cause a lot of problems. I think it could. Or on the other end, it teaches that you are uh, meant to be in conquest or meant to be dominant. And if you're something other than conquesting, yeah. dominating, then something's wrong with you. Totally. So. Yes, I definitely say uh, it creates um, these really devastating expectations, uh, really difficult to sustain. Um, yeah. The the fancy term that we we'll, that we use is the the, the the arousal template, and and it has to do with like neuroscience, how the brain is formed, how how emotions happen. Um, I know people people are highly patterned creatures, and everything we do is in pattern in a cycle. And so, um, like you were saying, when you're Early exposures to to things sexual are, um, well, well, whatever whatever early exposures are going to be, you're going to kind of set the tone, set the template for for what you instinctively perceive as you know norm, normative sex. Uh, and if that's you know um, like intimate, consensual, like mutual exploration with like a same age partner, like in like later teens or adulthood, I mean that's that's going to be one thing. It's much different than. I am stealthily, secretly, you know, masturbating to porn in secret and feeling a lot of shame about it, uh, right. which is much different than being being abused. So, right. um, so which, all, which, yeah, I think I think with that arousal template too, it's interesting because I think um, I think there's a lot of shame for people who because uh, like teen porn is a thing, and I think that there's a lot of um, conversation around this where if you think about it, and I'm not justifying like child pornography team. I'm not just, just fine pornography whatsoever. 
Uh, mm-hmm. I'm just going to bring a perspective here that um, if you started watching pornography when you were 10, 11, 12 years old, and you are watching and your brain was connecting and bonding to the image of a teenage woman or a teenage man, uh, that arousal template will stick with you. And so if you find yourself like looking at pornography, um, I mean, I would, I would say that's not a healthy behavior for you. I'd say there are other behaviors that are, that are healthier for you and not even just eating a salad, like go eat a burger. That's great. Like do whatever you want. A burger and fries is great. Um, but I think that what ends up happening is our brain ties to those images and that's then what becomes attractive to us. And I think that if you watch the patterns of people's lives, you can see that play out. Uh, and usually it tends to play out in negative uh, behaviors or behaviors that are damaging to, to themselves and other people. But I think that if we can put our hands around that, it helps us understand our own arousal template and why we do the things that we do. I think so. <clears throat> uh, and that certainly could uh, play into like when people have a type. Uh, it, that's partly in reference, I think, to, to the arousal template. Mm-hmm. And and I think, again, factoring in like neuroplasticity and how the brain continues to develop over the lifespan, there, there's ways that that can be reconditioned and regrown. Uh, I think it takes a lot of uh, intentionality and, and patience um, and probably um, some some internal flexibility, too. Um, my experience talking with people is they get a sense of like, well, here, here's my type. It's this one particular thing or I'm attracted to this one particular kind of person uh, and tend to kind of obsess over over labels like am I, am I straight and my bi and my pen, et cetera. Right. Um, yeah. and, and part of me wonders, well, I mean, if we could just like allow for like a diversity of attraction, like in general, like allow that, like, Hey, I'm going to be attracted to multiple things. Like I enjoy multiple kinds of foods and they can all be good. They can all be filling. Um, and one sense you could say, well, you could be attracted to like a lot of different kinds of people, you know, some, this body shape, some that body shape, and that, that can be fine. Um, but, but again, it, it, that is a little bit maybe in competition with this narrative that like, you know, sex has to be perfect and it has to be right. your dream fantasy and it has to be intensely right. awesome all of the time. Um, so, yeah. But to your point, like not every meal that I have is going to be intensely amazing, right? Like right. <laughs> I, can the same, I can make the same meal four times in a month and one of them be so much better than the other three, right? Mm. Like, and I think that, that we put those expectations, I think those expectations are implied and taught very directly through pornography and this, the sexual culture that we live in. Um, but then also I think that we just, uh, we impose those expectations on ourselves. And again, like that's when shame enters our story and becomes this destructive force that causes us to uh, view ourselves the way we don't want to and do a lot of things we don't want to do. And, and honestly, if I feel like I um, have zero value and I am always shameful, that will hit my filter when I start to view other people. Um, I will view them as less valuable. I will value um, them as much or to the extent that I can value myself. Hmm. Yeah, the way that we will project our shame in other people. Um, if you're not able to really connect with yourself, love yourself, then like you're not really going to be able to be present, connecting, loving to, to another person. Yeah, I, I concur. Um, so, so, yeah, so, um, so we've been talking around uh, the way that pornography is just um, how it affects our expectations, how it can create these unrealistic and definitely unsustainable expectations for who we are, for who our partners be, uh, for what like sex life in, in a relationship looks like. Um, I, I definitely got hit with that. Like when I was growing up because I grew up in the church also, and there was this, you know, 
kind of, sometimes subtle, sometimes more more overt idea that like, yeah, you know, guys, especially, you know, if, if you wait, it'll be awesome. And all the time, awesome after you get married. And then it right. wasn't. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so, you uh, lied to me, pastor. You lied to me. It's not what I thought it was going to be. It's right. not what and you told me it would be. Right. And it wasn't just one pastor. It was the whole church culture. So I was like, ah, oh, you all lied. Oh. So... Right. Um, or, 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 so either you all lied or I am somehow the only one who feels this. Yeah, that that's the one too. I, I tend to project my fears and assume like every other guy has a lot more sex than me. And then I just feel bad. So, <laughs> um, yes. Anyway. Uh, so, and I guess that would be like another aspect of like, um, maybe, I mean, porn culture for sure, but it, this one I blame on like media culture in general is like they, uh, they, they, they leave no no possibility for like a healthy, thriving life without sex, uh, and something like abstinence or celibacy. That's either like really like this exotic monk thing that some people do, or it's this considered this this, this terrible thing. And yeah. um, I mean, it, like I, I don't actually want that for myself, but like I, but I feel like it would be a helpful thing and kind of a realistic thing if that could be like introduced into these conversations. So like, hey, it's it's a legitimate way of life and it can be just as fine and beautiful as someone who's who's sexually active too uh and it doesn't you know to to not be interested in sex doesn't make you a broken freakish person i mean it could have some stuff attached to it but it doesn't always and sure well we talk about um here we talk about the difference between sex and intimacy because i think that so often we connect those two that sex somehow is intimacy but intimacy is being known and fully knowing um another person. And so um, I've been recently, I heard this a couple of days ago, been exploring this idea, chewing on it, the difference between transparency and vulnerability. Transparency is sharing about myself and my life, but vulnerability is inviting people into my inner world. Um, and I think that um, that's where intimacy really happens is when I allow someone into my inner world and they're allowing me into their inner world. And what I mean by that is my thoughts and emotions, my experiences throughout the day, uh, the negative emotions that I feel, the positive emotions that I feel, um, how I interpret certain experiences, both positive and negative. You know, there's just so many different aspects to it. But um, I think that intimacy is really what we can't live without. A counselor uh, that's on staff with us asked the question, like, if you don't have sex, will you die? And uh, if you, know, you give it a minute, <laughs> I think people will get to the point where they can say, no, I wouldn't die if I didn't have sex. But I think that um, there is that really that heavy pause that's like, but I want to have sex. I want this. Um, and the physical act in and of itself is a powerful and meaningful thing in life. However, that is not the only form of intimacy. Um, being fully seen and known for who you are, meaning what you struggle with, what things you're passionate about, what are your biggest fears, your biggest passions. Um, being known and being loved and accepted by other people is really what I think we're chasing and oftentimes we substitute that with this physical act with another person that, you know, ends in climax. And that, again, is a powerful part of life. But that I don't think is at the core of what we all really, really want. We want to be known, loved and accepted by somebody else. I would agree. And just thinking how that that really powerful climactic orgasm that's that's entirely possible with someone the like you don't even know their name. And it's entirely possible to have that with a stranger and and have no connection there uh and uh, i mean for some people i mean that's that's what they want then no, no judgment but i mean a lot of people will also talk about that as being kind of frustrating or kind of empty or yep ultimately not satisfying and 
not quite scratching the the the, the intimacy, the relationship itch, and um, and yeah, they're you know by by contrast, uh, I mean I've experienced this in my own life, and perhaps you have too, and, and other people have that when you have like a really intimate friend, you know, same sex or other sex, uh, someone who knows you, he can say everything to, and they know everything about you. There's there's a safety there, there's a security, there's there's a comfort there. And, you know, it's nice when there can be some touch along with that. But but even if not, I mean, it's it's still a really, really valuable uh, touch point for people. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. So then here. So the, these are some of the narratives that we we, we labor under. Um, I would wonder, Trevor, what do you think are some ways to start challenging that, uh, particularly in speaking to our kids or in our context, speaking to, to clients, parishioners and their families. Um, what are some ideas for how to better, better talk about uh, sex and porn to younger people? Yeah, I think the first thing is just start talking about it. Um, especially in a Christian context. Um, I mean, so often, uh, so we have this this friend of Pure Desire. Her name is Mo Mo Isom. Uh, she's an author, and she talks about how um, we often will listen to the loudest voice, um, and the loudest voice when it comes to sex, sexuality, pornography, objectification, the meaning of life, often comes from culture, um, and not just movies. But I mean, it could be music, it could be the media, it could be social media, it could be you name it. Um, and I think that uh, oftentimes religious sectors definitely have a really, really quiet voice or no voice at all when it comes to this. So I think that normalizing the conversation that sex and sexuality in and of itself is not a bad part or shameful part of who we are. Um, I think that it's something that uh, in the creation of humanity, whatever that looks like for you, um, we, we were born sexual. Like. You know, some people struggle with cocaine or they struggle with alcohol. They struggle with other substances. Uh, You weren't born an alcoholic. You weren't born an addict, but you were born sexual. Uh, And so I think that we need to start talking about this at a younger age. I have two young sons, uh, one who's going to turn four here very shortly. And around the age of five or six, we're going to, I mean, we're already talking about like, we make sure that he uses the word penis when he talks about it. I don't want him to say thingy or his member or something because I don't want to inject shame into that. It's not shameful to have a penis, believe it or not. Like, <laughs> you know, like it's not shameful. What can be shameful is our view of our own anatomy and our view of what we choose to do with that anatomy. And so I think the first part is just normalizing the conversation and it may be weird and uncomfortable, um, but better to have a weird and uncomfortable conversation at your home with your family, with your kids in a safe place uh, and creating that culture that can be sustained over time rather than being taught uh, that by, um, by media and culture that, that, that just tell you, this is the climax of life. This is where you should go. Um, Cause that competes and, and rubs right up against uh, what often is taught inside religious sectors. Definitely. I want to jump in on that. Cause it, cause I like it. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, like normalizing the conversation at all. And, and I kind of want to say, like, uh, the, the conversation is awkward at, that, at, that, at those stages. I'd say the conversation is awkward because the parents feel awkward uh, or the adults feel awkward. Um, like, I don't think that kids, like, instinctively have that awkward sense about their genitals or their bodies. They, they might have, they, they have, like, a, a curiosity and, a, and an ignorance, perhaps. Um, but, I mean, it's from how we can't say the word vagina or penis and or we, we make jokes about it or like we are like weirdly evasive about it uh like that that stuff attaches 
weirdness and shame to to the narrative. Um, and uh, I mean, there's a there's a tangent here about like like the body in general, like uh, you know, uh, you know, honoring and caring for like a person's whole body, you know, for 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 boys and for girls, maybe a little bit more for girls in this case, like, thinking their whole bodies are their whole body is good and beautiful and and sacred and worthy of caring for, you know, and things like we call things by their name and, you know, nobody touches us without permission and we eat well and we move well and we like care for ourselves because, you know, our, our, our bodies are part of our redemption story also. So uh, that's, that's really essential. Yeah. And I, you know, what's funny is it plays out like I've got a a nine month old son and, you know, you put him on the changing table and he'll put his hands down and like play with his penis. And it's easy right in the moment, just like, Oh my God, he's going to become an addict. Like, Oh no, like my reality is now his reality, you know? And and as dumb as that sounds, those are thoughts that like enter into my brain so fast. But then I have to really take a step back and be like, that's not true. (laughs) He's just exploring his body. He also scratches his ear and he chews on his foot. Like, those aren't things that are like bad negative behaviors telling of a, you know, future addiction. And so I think that um, those thoughts tend to be revealers of my own shame and brokenness and my own broken perspective when it comes to my body, to sexuality, uh, to the design of it, than it is of um, any sign that there's going to be a future addiction or pattern in my kid's life. And I think that, gosh, and this is, I'm going to preach on this because as a parent, uh, do you have kids? I do. Okay. Yeah. So you, you know, this, uh, as a parent, um, the culture that my kids will develop in and base their entire worldview on is largely moved and shaped by me and my wife, by the parents that are there. And so if you think about, um, who you want your child to become, the type of life you want them to live, the way you want them to view certain aspects of life, you have an unbelievable amount of control um, in that. And I think that a lot of that needs to come with just vulnerability, sharing like, you know, daddy's not super comfortable talking about this, but I want to talk about it so that you're not uncomfortable when it comes to talking about this. And I, I would just say if there's anybody who's listening that's a parent and feels like they don't have... Um, a voice or any impact or power in this, I would disagree with that. I think you have way more influence and power than you give yourself credit. I would say so, like mysteriously. So yeah, parents, yeah, we're, we're always, we're always in reference to our parents, whether we love them or hate them, want to be like them or want to be the opposite of them. Like it's, it's always in relation to our parents in some way. And so, yes, uh, dear parents, you have quite a bit of power and, uh, and with that, like, especially in the younger years, a lot of margin too. like, you can, you know, uh, air quotes, like mess up a conversation uh, with a lot more uh, and with a lot less collateral damage. Uh, I think, yeah, like, like Trevor, like you're saying, like with, if you can, can own it, be, be open, be, be vulnerable about it. Um, I remember, I remember as a kid, like really wishing sometimes like my dad would just like apologize to me for stuff or mm-hmm. just like own stuff and and that that carried into like my relationships with pastoral figures too like when they presented as you know perfect and amazing and awesome like i couldn't connect or couldn't relate it was yeah. the people that the older men the older leaders who could be open about here's a struggle here's a problem here's a lack that i have um because those people were more like me and so that was uh that, that was a comfort there yep 
Oh, yeah. So thinking in the about this idea of uh, kind of reclaiming the sexual narrative in a sense, um, you know, I, I go on the premise that every kid gets a sex education and they, and it's an inevitability of their life. And the choice of the parents uh, gets to be or the caregivers gets to be who who controls what that education is or who directs that. Um, and it could be this really beautiful moment of, you know, you know, parents of either gender uh, initiating the conversation or responding to a kid's initial questions in a really supportive way. Um, it could be different to, you know, uh, pastoral people. I mean, I got probably more from my pastor than my parents. Uh, it could be left to, to the schools. Uh, and there's some mixed feelings about that. Uh, if nobody does it, then the porn industry is going to do it. They, you know, uh, the porn, Instagram, Tumblr, they, they, they will educate your kids and in their particular way. Uh, so, um, I, I don't really want that for my sons, <laughs> but, uh, no. it will happen one way or the other. Yeah. And I think about it too, like legacy is like a scary word, um, that I feel like I, I want so desperately to have a good one, but don't think about it enough. Um, and, I think about um, the type of world I want my sons to live in. Um, I need to base the decisions that I make, even in my own life, um, decisions I choose to do every day. Like I need to tie them to um, what type of, what type of human being, what type of man am I crafting in my son at an early age and uh, giving him um uh, I think the power and the task or authority to go be a culture and a world changer. And I, I don't mean that in a sense of like, go do whatever you want to do. You can do all things like that's, that's good. And I would, I would agree with, with you that you can, but um, I want to empower my sons to walk into a space, whatever that may look like um, identify what's good and maybe what's unhealthy and to then bring health to that area in a vulnerable, loving, respectful way um, and to do it with no shame. Um, so that's just me getting on my, like, you know, my dream, if you will, as a parent is to raise two sons that um, are not going to be okay with uh, the prototypical everyday norm. They want um, bigger and better and healthier for everyone involved. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, uh, I think about this sometimes, uh, even in terms of social justice, and uh, and there's there's a lot of discussion around like what what should that look like? What should we be doing? I mean, especially for you know people, you know people like you and me. I mean, we you know we we, we carry a lot of privilege. You know, we're we're male, we're white, um, white passing anyway, and like you know, uh, in I'm heteronormative white. situations. I am, yeah, I'm all white. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, so you know, I, I get to raise—I mean, I get to raise—you know, three, th three, three white sons, three white male people to be uh, self-aware, to be emotionally healthy, to be able to see all genders as as beautiful, to be able to see color in the way that it needs to be seen, and um, you know, in, in that way, you know, wherever they go, they can, like you said, they can kind of kind of create that around them of like, you know, we're gonna be at peace with ourselves and be at peace with all people around us. And that gets to be like the, <laughs> that gets to be the thing that I launch into the world uh, in a sense. Yeah. And, I, yeah, I, uh, let, yeah. Let me answer one more thing. Um, this is just coming to me. And this is, 
Uh, I'm this way. I don't know. People know the Enneagram. I'm a seven. So this is just, I just bam, bam, bam. All the time. <laughs> okay. my, inner, my inner world is crazy. Um, but I think that uh, one of the things we often misunderstand is that uh, the reality is we have more influence over ourselves than we have over anyone else in the world. Uh, we, we look at influence as this like outward act towards someone else. But I think at the exact same time, it can be an inward uh, turning to identifying what it is uh, that I do, what are the things I do that are healthy, unhealthy. And I actually have a decision every single day to influence myself toward health or toward unhealth. Um, and so I would say with this like sexuality narrative that if you have behavior that is unwanted or that you believe is unhealthy or damaging in some area of your life, you have far more influence over yourself than you do anyone else. Education, putting yourself around people who are smarter, who know more than you do, uh, surrounding yourselves with a vulnerable community. That's, I would, I would say that's one thing that was the biggest, uh, one of the biggest things I learned is that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. Um, the idea of being known and knowing people in community. So I think that those things uh, are like steps that you can take toward influencing yourself toward the positive behaviors, the healthy things that you want to do. And I, I just don't want people to feel like influence is only an outward thing. You can turn it toward yourself and impact yourself. I would agree that, yes, <laughs> everything you said, <laughs> the, the inner influence, uh, seeking, seek the, uh, there's a great uh, saint in my tradition who's quoted as saying like, you know, seek the, or and I'm going to totally botch the quote, but it's something like, like seek the peace or seek, I'm totally botching it. Uh, seek the inner peace and a thousand around you will be safe or something. Find the inner stillness. Yes. Uh, so it's very ah. much that emphasis on, on self. So. If all you heard the entire episode was that, write that down, live it out. Okay. okay. It's from St. Seraphim Masarov. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, uh, I think, yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of, a lot of cool ideas. I think that we've been able to say here, um, but Trevor, do you have any last thoughts around like pornography, sex ed, or caring for our kids better? Yeah. Um, Something that I have been um, thinking a lot about is uh, I think that we often like the trauma and the wounds that we have in our life cause us to either overreact or underreact to certain situations. And um, I believe, you know, statistics show it. I think that teaching in all different sectors um, are now teaching that pornography has such detrimental effects on a human being, not just in the sexual realm, but how they view themselves and view other people. Um, but I think that there are a lot of people out there that just, you know, maybe they're within a relationship with someone who's using pornography. They don't feel like it impacts them all that much. I would, I would ask them the question, um, where in your life do you think that that feeling is tied to? Like something that can be so detrimental, that's so objectifying that and I'm not trying to shame people. This is, this is stuff I think everyone agrees on, whether you view pornography or not, um, what trauma or wound is that tied to in your story? Um, and start to explore why am I not responding to this um, with disappointment or sadness or anger? Um, because it is something that's impacting you, whether you're trying, whether you're cognizant that, that it is or not, it is impacting you in the relationships that you have. And so um, I think that both sides, someone who's struggling and someone who's in a relationship with someone who's struggling um, with pornography or sexually acting out, I think we just have to go far down into the surface, under the surface and explore 
the most painful and traumatic events of our life because those are fueling so many of the decisions, the reactions, the thoughts, the motivations that we have uh, in life. The painful and overwhelming things, they, they do tend to have a, a lingering impact, uh, <laughs> to be sure. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll throw in one other thought, uh, kind of on the other end. Uh, so in as much as like a, a sex education for a kid is an inevitability. Yeah, so I, I would I would hold the, the hope that, you know, my my kids would never become involved with, with pornography or never really exposed to it. Uh, that, that would be my hope. There, there's a, a realistic part of me that says, well, exposure happens because it's the world we live in. And, yeah. you know, either they're exposed to an image, they're exposed to something or like they they start getting older, they start like, you know, being curious about themselves and other people. So um, so in on one sense, like sexual curiosity is is a natural part of development. And I think I would want to just throw this out there and say, so, I mean, if you could. Uh, does discover porn if your kid does discover masturbation if your kid even i mean yeah, a couple of kids like are like you know experimenting exploring with each other in a way i mean there's a lot of things to be cautious of there and some some flags to be aware of but in general though i'd say like you know you discover your kids been been looking at stuff that doesn't make them a bad kid and it doesn't make you a failure of a parent uh it definitely creates an opportunity and it's an opportunity that you, you have to take but there's a lot of ways that that curiosity can become a really great opportunity to you know, to talk about things, to talk about well, what was this? What did it make you feel? And what do you think of this? And um, and if to like, I guess okay, two more thoughts. Uh, like if we if as part of our normal normal parenting or our normal ministry work uh, is to talk about here's what sex is for, here's what we believe its purpose is, and. You know, it's going to be different per tradition, but um, but but if they have an idea of what the good is, they'll be much more likely to recognize when something is not that, and hopefully not have an interest in it, not ultimately have a have a bond with it. So, which again comes back to uh, gotta gotta have some open conversations. Well, and I yeah, and I think that what's cool is if you've created that culture in your home where you can have those talks then if they do experience something that seems funky or out of order, they know mom or dad is safe. They know that I can come talk like, Hey, so dad, I saw this thing and I know that we talked about sex and it was supposed to look like this. This didn't look like that. What's up with that. And then we can actually, we can engage that topic head on. And what's great is then we can process that and actually have conversations and normalize that conversation in a way that, uh, there doesn't have to be this, the shame or the secrecy that's tied to, sex in any form. I love that of parents becoming the safe people. And, and that's through, yeah, that's how we, we welcome the questions. We welcome the feelings. Uh, we tend to our own stuff, so we don't get super overwhelmed, but yeah, we, we, we don't back down from a hard conversation. Yep. So, uh, I like it. Uh, Trevor, thanks for, uh, throwing some ideas around with me. Um, if, uh, if a listener wanted to reach out to you or to Pure Desire, uh, what are some websites and emails that uh, would be useful to know? Sure. You can email me uh, Trevor, T-R-E-V-O-R, at puredesire.org. I know it sounds like a steamy novel organization. It's not. Um, it's not a porn site. Puredesire.org. 
but that's also our website. You can go check stuff out there. And then um, I, like I said, I host a podcast called the Pure Desire Podcast. It's on all the major platforms. You can search that. We explore all different. I mean, we're close to 200 episodes, so we explore quite a bit of the topic of sexuality and culture. Excellent. All right, everyone, check that out uh, because it's a good, it's a good, it's a good offering, uh, especially if you are of any sort of uh, Christian orientation. It's it's good. Uh, so, otherwise, thank you. Yeah, thank you for being here, and uh, listener, thank you for following along, and let's let's keep the conversation going. love your feedback and invite you to share your thoughts about this conversation. Also, we'd appreciate your review and five-star rating on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Share your thoughts through email at smartcouncilpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us at facebook.com slash smartcouncilpodcast. Please consider supporting this podcast with a financial donation through patreon.com slash smartcouncil. Our theme music is by Trent Price. Our logo design is by Thomas Moore. Thanks again for listening, and let's keep the conversation going. Music